Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I have on the show today two very good friends of mine, Lori and Matt Krieg. They are the co-authors, uh, dual authors of a book that just came out called An Impossible Marriage, What Our Mixed Orientation Marriage Has Taught Us About Love and the Gospel. Uh, Lori is same-sex attracted. Matt is not. And they have a super interesting, compelling, complex, and beautiful marriage that I have learned so much about just by watching them work through their unique situation. Um, uh, Matt is a counselor. Lori is a speaker, writer, um, uh, leader in, in many ways. Uh, she also serves on the on the board of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. So she, in some ways, Lori's my boss, <laughs> or at least has boss-like um, authority over me in some ways. So I'm so excited about this episode. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. If you are married or thinking about marriage, whether you are gay, straight, same-sex attracted, bisexual, whatever, you will learn a ton from this episode. If you would like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw, support the show for as little as five bucks a month, and become part of the Theology in the Raw community. Okay, let's welcome to the show for the first time, Matt and Lori Creed. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I am here with two friends of mine, Lori and Matt Krieg. Uh, Lori and Matt, how are you guys doing today? Doing awesome. Glad to be here. This doing pretty good. This might be the first time I've had two people on at one time. I'm may, maybe once or twice in the past, but this this is a kind of a uh, yeah, this is a rarity. So, um, uh, so we want. I want to talk about your forthcoming book uh, f- called Impossible Marriage. When's it come out again? Is it November? It is November. I did reach out to my editors a couple days ago, and I was like, "Do you know it's November 3? And do you know that's election day? It's supposed to come out on <laughs> so, election day. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm either gonna like play that up hard and be yeah. like, "Hey, after you vote," which will be good grief. Uh, so we're trying to work around that. Yeah. Hopefully, a week before election day. Well, and don't release it on the fourth because the world might end on the third. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm looking only in the weeks before. Yeah. <laughs> or months after but hopefully before that is too funny so my, my book is supposed to be out in october but they we pushed it back to february just because it was like between now and then with so much happening they're like it's yeah let's let's just push it back but um impossible marriage so why don't you give us either one of you maybe you can go back and forth what's the elevator pitch for this book um and i've i've read a, a chunk of it and i'm so excited for it so but i want to let you guys tell 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 us all about the book. Thanks. An impossible marriage is really kind of blatantly stating what people have said to us for the last 11 plus years, um, either verbally, overtly, or silently with their heads cocked like a puppy when we describe our marriage. (laughs) Um, But they'll say, okay, so you are attracted to the same sex, Lori. Matt, you wrestled with pornography addiction. How does your marriage work? That's impossible. So instead of being like, oh, no, whatever, it's fine. We're leaning into it with this book saying all marriages are impossible. And that's kind of the point. If we look at the metaphor of marriage. 
and the purpose of marriage, which is to serve as a picture of Christ's impossible, insane love and marriage to the church. So yeah, it is impossible, but it's we're wrong if we're not also saying all of our marriages are impossible. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, lots to unpack there. Well, why don't we go back and um, uh, let, when did you guys first meet? And let's just start there. Let's just go all the way back to the beginning and how you guys even fell into this. Well, not this impossible marriage, because you would say all marriages have an impossibility about yeah. them. Um, but your marriage Our in particular, what, how, what yeah. even led to something like that? Yeah, well, we, we met at, at school. We both went to Cornerstone. We met in class. We were doing a spiritual formation class together. And um, I approached her at first. The th- first thing I said was she dri- drove a Pontiac Vibe. It was and, very and cool. It was very cool. It was much better than my car. And so I asked her about her car and then we started kind of, well, hanging out. We went to the same church and so we played like ultimate Frisbee, large group of people gathering and, and slowly the the thing that came out about me was that I am not creepy. And so at one point, Lori was writing a... Uh, a yeah, I'll grab it. So yeah. I was writing for our school newspaper, and I was writing a column called Get Out and encouraging people to get out and get off campus. Kind of funny words now, get out. Anyway, like the movie? but I was... It wasn't like the movie. The movie wasn't around yet. No, no. <laughs> but I was secretly in a same-sex relationship and really had a lot of issues with men. I was really in this feminist uh, mindset base of unhealthy feminism, not biblical feminism, but um, where I didn't really like men, I was scared of them, thought they were basically worthless. And um, but then I realized that for this column, I only invited friends, female friends to go with me. And I was like, who do I know that's a dude that's not creepy? (laughs) And Matt Creed came to mind. So and he alludes to this not creepy factor. That was the first thing that attracted me to Matt um, was his lack of creepiness vibe. Uh, but yeah, we became friends and he made his intentions clearer. Um, and I was like, hold up. You don't even know what's going on with me behind the scenes. Um, and yet there was this thing, even though I had this draw to my girlfriend, I knew it was not God's best. Like I was not like, oh, this is right for me at that point. I was I knew it wasn't God's best, but I wasn't a, trying to like replace a her with a him. Mm-hmm. But there was something about Matt that I was like, hmm. huh, it was just, huh. It wasn't like, I want to put a ring on him. It was, huh. And so this friendship dating, f- like heart uh, relationship took it from a huh into where I was like, BT dubs, I never want to get married because it looks like garbage. I told him that when we first started officially dating again, it wasn't like, take me out to dinner. It was like, let's, let's connect at this heart level. Um, I said, I never want to get married. And I also don't want to kiss till I'm married because I don't want to replace, you know, one lust. I told her about, uh, I told him about my ex-girlfriend and these attractions. Mm. And he told me, I don't see you any differently. And he didn't, you know, how like people's eyes, they can do that. Like eye flash of like, you're weird, gross. And like, get me out of here. He really, Charlotte Bronte is like the eyes are the window to the soul. Essentially is what she said. And that, that I I just, I have a hard time believing that. So I'm going to push a little, (laughs) Matt, what, what, like, so she tells you she's attracted to women. Were you not, were you like shocked, but not, not shocked kind of like, like, 
that's cool, you know? Or were you not shocked, like, yeah, I kind of knew that coming? Or, like, there had to have been some kind of, like, whoa. (laughs) I had had no, no, like, inkling of of anything. Like, I knew her her ex-girlfriend. Like, I thought they were just friends. I actually really liked both of them in, like, the friendship sense. (laughs) Matt's gaydar is terrible. (laughs) It's terrible. It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fine, I guess. But but it it was actually, I, I think the biggest thing that shocked me was the fact that growing up, I grew up kind of stereotypically, you know, Christian male, you know? And so for, for me, like I, I, I didn't swear, I didn't drink or smoke or do drugs or anything like that. The one thing that was acceptable was making fun of gay people. And, and that's honestly like, I, I grew up with all the jokes, with all the, the things, you know, all the things that I'm actually now regretful of because some of my friends, kind of have come out and I realized like, oh man, I was probably a strong barrier for, for them, um, feeling the love of God. And so anyway, Lori was the first person that, that I like had a real relationship with that I really cared about who, who came out. And at that point, I guess the shock for me was this idea that, wow, I don't, I don't see you any differently. Um, because based on my history, I'm like, I don't know where that came from. I don't know how, like how it was not like this shocking, like earth shattering thing for me, because up until that point, I would not have thought that of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when she told me that it, it really was like a, all of a sudden this, this thing that had been the, the them over there became the, this person I deeply care about right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that really changed a lot of my trajectory as far as like how I would ever interact with this conversation and with these people, um, because they became real to me for the first time, honestly. Did you, did you think at that point, any kind of more than friendship feelings you had for Lori were like, well, there goes that, you know, or you're like, Hey, all right, this is a little curveball, but we can work through this. Or what was your, (laughs) good question that is a good question that's not one i've ever been asked before um i i trusted her when she said that she's not attracted to men but there was something about me that she was at least intrigued by that there was that huh you know and so i i was just like okay well let's let's see how things go um as opposed to just this i i knew at that point our relationship would not look like a stereotypical um you know physical allure that like kind of brings people together and that's the basis of the relationship it wasn't going to be that which which i was very grateful for even though it was hard when she said oh i never want to get married and by the way i don't want to kiss until i'm married and so (laughs) it's not exactly come hither at that moment but but it was something that i was like okay well i don't know we'll we'll try it out you're like she may not want to kiss after we get married I mean, there's the book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is it? It is like God gave us love for each other. That yeah. sounds so dumb and cheesy, but it it did feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I so I want I want to keep if you don't mind I want to keep going in, into this Please. because I think there is a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of um, yeah, a lot of uh, ignorance. I don't mean that in a demeaning way, just lack of knowledge on these kinds of relationships where one person is attracted yeah. to the same sex, another person opposite sex. Some people call it a mixed orientation marriage. Uh, for one, um, every relationship's different. I, we both know a lot of these kind of relationships that ended in disaster. 
we both know, I think, I mean, I, I can think of about 10 off the top of my head, people fairly close to me in this kind of marriage. And, you know, there's a range of, yeah, it's just, it, it's more of a struggle than it is a success all the way to like their marriage looks better than 95% of just typical heterosexual Christian marriages I've seen. Um, you guys are very honest about your relationship, which I, which I love. Um, how has it, what are some big picture things? How has it worked for you guys? When I say worked, I don't mean that it's all just puppies and roses or what's the metaphor? <laughs> puppies and roses. Right. You're not going to candy coat that it's like, Oh, we're just walking a cloud nine all the time. It's not that no marriage, no marriage is. Um, but how has it worked? How has, cause your marriage, I would say at least from the outside is, is a successful in the Christian sense of the term marriage and that you guys are honest, you're kingdom minded. You're honest with each other. You've been through a lot. You sacrifice a lot for each other. You're selfish. just like everybody else. I'm sure. But like from the outside looking in, you guys have what I would say is a healthy, meaningful marriage. Um, what, how, how have you guys made it work? Whereas others in a similar situation may have not, not worked in the same way. I mean, I, I think a, a big thing is, is we're both, we're both doing our best to look, to look inward at like our own issues that we bring to the marriage rather than looking to the other person as the problem, as the person that has the issue that needs to be corrected. Um, and I mean, that's been a yeah. long time coming and that's still going to be a place where we are continuing this whole sanctification journey. Um, but I, I think for, for me, one of the places that our marriage works is actually the place where there's been a lot of pain where we've, we've confronted because of our relationship, we've had to confront like our own approach to sexuality and the importance of it in a relationship and in a marriage specifically. The importance, but not ultimate nature of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That. So I think what our marriage confronts that has been accepted in marriages everywhere is attraction is key. That's what other marriages can believe. I'm not saying all marriages do believe. I'm saying they can believe attraction is key. Sex is the goal. And so in marriages, you're just constantly doing bids is what some therapists call it for sex or for emotional heart connection. So like 84% of women will have sex with their husbands in order to get them to do more around the house. So either emotional... Yeah. What's the percentage? Either 84. <laughs> uh, and and how many, what, what percentage of men do work on a house right. in order to... <laughs> and that's the thing. But like, you know, I read terrible statistics about teen girls right now who are in heterosexual relationships and how they're just basically being, their bodies are being used. They'll have sex with their boyfriend just so then they can get it off the table. So then they can just talk. They'll have a conversation with them. And as much as we're like, Oh my goodness, it's not that different in Christian heterosexual marriages is it's this, you know, this is your duty. There's maintenance sex. I had, there was so much sex talk and advice for women and men, for guys, when you're junior high or younger, your wife is going to be the one who's going to be essentially the sex receptacle for your yeah. hormones. You know, like that's how Matt grew up mm-hmm. in the in youth group was hearing that. And he can speak more into that. And I grew up, you know, 
hearing a lot of war on marriage stuff, but then too, like sex felt ultimate, both on every chick flick you see, what's the climax when you know they love each other? Yeah. Fade to black. And so it feels the same way when it comes to marriage. If that's the goal, if oneness equals sign sexual encounter with your spouse, that equation is what brought me to the edge of almost leaving Matt because we were unable to have sex anymore because of a trauma resurfacing, magnetizing to my sexual orientation. So it was off the table. So I felt like my report card in this marriage was a failing grade constantly. Wow. And ministry world and the world world affirmed it all the time. Mm -hmm. I was so afraid to, to ask anyone for advice because I would I felt like I was either going to get Lori you get because you're oh you're not attracted to your spouse oh well you get the get out of marriage free card mm. you get to leave right except if I was straight I didn't get that I would get phrases about suffering produces good fruit wow. or I would get yeah. the more conservative angle just have sex with just do it just that's that is the messaging that is preached to women wow. in marriages First Corinthians seven, which is a reflexive yeah. verb, those you know will say, do not withhold, but it's do not withhold yourself. So I think mm. what has helped us see that the glue that holds marriage together, what binds us all together in perfect harmony is the Holy Spirit and God's love. And realizing that oneness, that word we throw around, is not a euphemism for sex. Oneness is this holistic connection. And so when I took the report card of sex pressure off of us, mm -hmm. I was actually able to work on some trauma things. Mm -hmm. And Matt and I were able to see where are we able to connect? Mm -hmm. uh, just like a very, sorry, I'll say one more thing. I'll let you dig in, Preston, please do. <laughs> but we did a, a unscientific, technically uh, survey of about 100 couples, straight and mixed orientation marriages. And I asked them, where are their most challenged places in their marriage? Straight and mixed orientation marriages. Top one, sex. Yeah. Next one, that was their top challenge. Same, because you'd think oh, it'd be yeah. only mixed orientation marriages, right? Y'all got your issues too. <laughs> it, but when I looked at where do you feel the most connected with each other? We, mixed orientation marriages, on the whole, in this unscientific survey of 100 couples, we beat y'all in a lot <laughs> of different areas of emotional connection, mm -hmm. spiritual connection, which that even the straightest couple you say, woman especially, will say is the spiritual and emotional that can lead to the physical. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's it's, I think just recognizing oneness is not a euphemism for sex, and sex is not a report card mm -hmm. for your marriage. That that doesn't um, surprise me that both of those, what you said about that survey, um, I would love to see the results. I know you're, you're probably nervous because you said not scientific. You, you want to make sure you're not a sociologist, yeah. whatever. But that's still interesting. Um, yeah. But that doesn't surprise like this is, And it's hard for me to say this as a straight guy married to a straight woman. You know, I'm not speaking out of experience, but... You know, having walked with people in marriages over the years, having paid attention to the church, having been involved in this conversation for a while, um, if people think, and I say this to straight people, and any older, mature, straight couple just shakes their head like, yeah, obviously. Like, if you're, if, you're, if, if you're relying on your sexual attraction towards each other to be kind of some foundational thing, some, 
the glue that holds this marriage together, the fuel that, you know, um, makes a marriage flourish, mixing metaphors. Um, that's just wrongheaded. I don't care what your orientation is. All that, a lot of, not all, a lot of that stuff does wear off. And I think, I mean, Matt, you probably even know the chemistry behind this, but from what I've heard, the, uh, is it endorphins that you get in that falling in love feeling like the human body can't sustain that for very long. I, th- I think I read somewhere like two to three years or something like you can't, that, that euphoric high of when you fall yeah, in same. love that that's just chemically you can't sustain. So you have to imagine this relationship without that doesn't mean love's not there. doesn't mean passion's not there. doesn't mean sex isn't, you know, but like that, that stuff that brings us into a relationship is, it can't be the thing that becomes the foundation. Am I, am I, is that, can you verify anything? Yeah, and I, I think the I think it's like eighteen months is is oh. what that kind of endorphin that 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 high will yeah. will typically last. And once that's gone, like and, and it it would show kind of in like for people who have been divorced and then remarried or like marry their the, the person they were cheating with. Yeah. Um, typically, eighteen months later, you'll see a, a drop off in those relationships because those highs are gone. Um, that, that passionate kind of drive is gone and then they find themselves in just a, a normal relationship where other stuff has to become foundational, the emotional connection, the, the spiritual connection, all that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the body can't sustain ongoingly that, that level of, for lack of a better word, arousal, yeah. um, toward, toward another person without having something else to, to kind of bolster and, mm. and support the relationship when those are gone yeah i want to go back laurie you said you know you met matt and he for for once he wasn't a creepy guy and i you know i i i resonate with that i I, you and i don't like stereotypes and all this stuff but but guys generally can be super creepy like i mean i and i just look at my own upbringing in life and like i on the scale of like guys i was really moral i was kind i you know, if I said a bad word, even before I was a Christian, I'd feel guilty. Like I care. So I was a pretty good moral kid, but even me, like the stuff that were going on in my mind and my heart, the things I would envision doing and just like, what's going on in here is, is creepy. I'm looking at myself. I'm like, what's wrong with me? And then I'm around, you know, I played baseball and, um, being in different athletic circles and just seeing like behind the scenes, even guys that were like, Oh, he's such a nice in high school, you know? Oh, he's such a nice guy. I'm like, did you, you should have heard what he told, said about you and your body like five seconds ago behind your back, you know? Um, yeah. guys can be super creepy. So I guess my, my two questions, number one, what is it about Matt that wasn't like, how did Matt stand out from that? Mm-hmm. And then my, just to anticipate, I, I, I want to know how you felt when you, when Matt came out with his porn addiction and, I mean, that, that oh, I, I can only imagine that must've been like really traumatic. Yeah. yeah. Matt, well you, I mean, you've heard him talk. He is, he's just a gentle hearted guy who truly believes the best in you. Like, which makes him a great counselor, <laughs> you know, like he believes in you and he will cry with you. You know, we were talking before recording, like Matt is more cerebral and he, you know, probably if he wasn't a believer, to be honest, he should probably be an engineer, but the Holy spirit has made him mercy hearted, has mm-hmm. given him that gift. And so that combination of both the cerebral intellectual plus the heart, it just is a really gentle combination. Um, I mean, honestly, just practically like, 
just guys can look at women really poorly and he didn't do that. Hmm. So I think, you know, I was grieving this morning on my run. I'm like, God, why'd you make men so visual? I know it's a good thing. I know it's good, but it's so broken. So, you know, I he wasn't, he didn't use his visual, his visual nature. Um, I just could tell he wasn't looking at me like a piece of meat. Wow, that's awesome. Well, and that's, I mean, it's obviously that's something that I, I didn't do with you yet. Six yet? years, well, no, like <laughs> yet six years in when yeah. I came out to like came out to you with the pornography yeah. stuff, like that was something that even though it wasn't yeah. like this obvious space, it was this really really hidden thing, like yeah, like Preston saying, like yeah, like I mean, I was not immune to that, like obviously my my visual nature and honestly my idolatry of of sex um, was was something that led me to to kind of go down that path, and so. Like, I remember that was a really hard space for you because all of a sudden, like, all of these words that you had spoken over me, not just not creepy, but like... When in six years later, yeah, yeah when you're married. Because like, you consistently said, like, I'm so honorable and so trustworthy and all of these things. And then all of a sudden, I, I came clean to you. Mm-hmm. And it was like, all of that was just gone. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of grief. There was a lot of anger, mm-hmm. um, rightly so. Um, but, yeah, there it was just kind of this shattering of this... I guess, quote unquote, perfect yeah. image that that you had of me because yeah. it wasn't actually at that point real. And in defense of my intuitive skills, when Matt and I were meeting or when we met up, uh, when we first started dating, he wasn't addicted to pornography then. He was on a like good track with accountability. He's, but yeah, he's well managed. OK. Yeah. What does that mean? But well, when, does that mean like every now and then once a month, twice a month? Is that or go no, a few no. months? So without? so. Yeah, explain that. Yeah, good. so it was it was something that I honestly thought that at that time I had beaten it. Okay. Because um, it had been something throughout like junior high, high school, um, early college that, that I had really struggled with. Um, but I had a group of friends in college that we really made it our goal to, to eradicate this from our life. And so, I mean, it had been years like since I had looked and I was like, man, I feel like I'm home free. I feel like I'm like doing good. And then all of a sudden – like, and that's when Lori kind of, we, we met one another, but then after college with, after we got married and kind of everyone moves away and I lost this community, all of a sudden I found myself fighting on my own. Mm. Um, and then just after about a year of marriage, just fell right back into it and felt really hard. And the reason for that is he was maintaining sin with accountability partners. That's usually as deep as we go in the church is let's put porn blockers on your computer and accountability partners. But then we just become cops and not cardiologists. And so that was the biggest thing Matt needed was to understand. And that's what helped me to see Matt in my rage was asking him like i know you've interviewed jay stringer um some of your why for going there and nothing is ever only physical unless you are like a straight up monster there's always our heart connected to it yeah and so when i was able to hear matt's why the lord was just like lori you literally are running to the same thing lori you're attracted to women Matt's attracted to women. You're attracted to women, not your spouse. Matt's attracted to women, not his spouse. And then I was like, but it's pornography. That promotes sex trafficking. That, but you know, and he's oh, like, yeah, you think yeah. I have a sin scale? But then he's like, back it down. Ask Matt, 
why pornography? Yeah. And it took him some inner heart work and like, honestly, just a brainwashing, I just mean the cleansing, like a detox, because he yeah. was, mm-hmm. was very addictive to be able to start the heart work. But when I heard it was, well, you say, why, Matt, did you, if that's okay, Preston, yeah, yeah. why were, why was porn attractive to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I, we, we talk about like the heart language. And, and so for me, one of the things that pornography felt like it met was this like good need to feel desired. Um, not sexually desired, not but... just sexually, like, so like affirmed, chosen specifically, like, like someone actually like was drawn to me as um, he was, you know, no like pretense. no pretense. Yeah. And so, so there was just that, that heart space and, and yet after, okay, Lori talks about detox, like one of the things that helped keep this marriage alive after was that. after that, Lori said, okay, I asked her what I needed to do to prove I was like in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, get rid of your smartphone, get rid of your tablet, get rid of your computer. And I was like, done and done, like sold it all. Like I had nothing. I had a dumb phone with like the QWERTY keyboard and a screen like that big, you know, one inch square. Um, But that getting my face out of screens Mm. kind of allowed it to detox my brain to kind of get a reset. And I think it proved a lot like that I was willing to, to do whatever it took. To, to be in the marriage and, and to put her above, you know, pornography. Real quick, before I, I know, Matt, you got to leave in a second, right? Um, yeah. Real quick, what, what uh, I heard someone explain to me the difference between like periodic porn use, habitual porn use, and addictive porn use. Are those three categories, do you see those as valid? And can you real quickly, like what would be the difference between each one or? So, so. Yeah, with what I work with, it's typically not periodic. I've never heard someone come to me and say, yeah, I look at porn once every two months. You know, okay. it's either the habitual or, okay. or the, the addictive. Habitual um, being and, once I mean, or twice a week or something? Or, I mean, or you can't put an arbitrary number, I'm sure. I mean, but. Yeah, it's not really about the number. The, the, the thing that makes a habitual or a compulsive behavior come in, become an addiction is that our brains have habituated to it. It's gotten used to a certain amount of stimulus. Um, and then it needs more. It needs the greater hit. And so it could be a different variety of porn. Typically, it goes either either harder, more violent or or younger is typically oh, the, the way that people get kind of the bigger hit. Wow. Um, and so it's either it either goes that way or it becomes something that's uncontrolled where like people are doing it in their car, you know, or in a public space or, or they're just not capable of saying no to it. Um, and so that that's what would turn this kind of compulsive habitual thing, mm-hmm. you know, into this more addictive state. Um, yeah. Wow. So you have to rewire your brain. Like what, you just have to like get away detox like you did extreme measures so that your brain can kind of rewire itself to where it doesn't like like the, like eating three meals a day. It, does, it doesn't go there anymore. Is that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of it, but then the other piece is like this this introspective work that you know that people like Jay Stringer would talk yeah. about is understanding yeah. the why, understanding the emotional drivers that are that are leading you down this right. pathway. Um, and so for me, getting the screens out of my face, it wasn't just porn; it was it was screens itself. Like I would watch twenty four hours a week of sports. We didn't have kids yet. Like it was nuts. <laughs> like unhealthy amounts of escapism, even to something uh... benign like sports. 
you know, and so I would escape at every moment. And so getting the screens away actually forced me to be in my own head enough to be able to identify like why, why porn or why is it so important for me to escape? Um, and so there were things like my own, my own value system, not really feeling like I was in myself mm-hmm. worthy, you know, or, or loved or desired or had purpose, you know, beyond escaping okay. into whatever virtual realm I went to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the detox piece is, is important because it allows our brains to reset, but it also allows space okay. to do some of that introspective work. Lori, how did you work through? I know women rightly um, can re- just really, really struggle, go to, go to dark places when a husband's porn addiction comes out. Like, and you, you've referenced a couple of times, you know, your anger and rage. How did you work through mm-hmm. to where you can come and rather than being kind of against Matt, come alongside and help him in this? I had to cut off, similar to Matt's detox, I had to cut out voices that were speaking what my flesh was saying, which my flesh was like, this is the one man you trusted. He's like every other man, you know, like wanted to burn it all down. Um, And people who were like not pro our marriage, I just had to shut them all down because it's very, you can jump on Man Hater Island real quick. And this was, you know, six years ago. It's only gotten turned up now, which there are some, you know, stereotypes of men we got to burn down. But the mm. good, to be a man is not wrong. To be mas- Jesus masculine is not wrong. So, um, which we'll, we don't need to go there. Anyway, I, I had to shut all those voices down. And um, I asked the Lord, can you help me to feel what you feel about this? And I just remember sitting on the floor at one point and I was so angry and I was trying to open my heart up because you can't be both hateful and bitter and open hearted to God. Mm. I don't I don't think you can do both very well. At least I couldn't. So I was like cracking my heart open, trying to listen to the Lord as Matt is sitting next to me. And what helped was Matt was repentant. Mm. And that is not always the case. So here he is broken down. And I just sense. I was like, God, help me to feel your emotion about this. His emotion. I didn't know if you would do that, Mm -hmm. but I just sensed Jesus joy and hope. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you have no idea how I'm going to use this. And then I looked at Matt and I was like, I am still so mad at you, but I sense God has a ton of hope for us. So I am choosing to believe that. Uh, And that was really a big um, Mm -hmm. crowbar that helped me to take steps. I did a lot of grieving, a lot of forgiving. That's a whole other conversation is what does actual forgiveness look like? Um, And there was many rounds, many rounds of forgiveness, not just once. Wow. How how long ago was that when you came clean? It was six years in your marriage. 2015. So five years. Okay. Five years ago. Yep. Wow. Wow. I have um, to speak out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks for... That's got to go do some therapy for others. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um. So tell let's just go back to your book, okay? Uh, I mean, we. I'm sure a lot of what we're talking about is probably scattered throughout the book on yeah. some level or another. Yep. But give, give us the overview of what this book's about and why people should go check it out. <laughs> I hope the one takeaway people have for this book is they get the metaphor of marriage um 
I heard that growing up sort of like marriage is a gospel metaphor, but it felt inverted to me. Like it felt like male, female, like Christ in the church is somewhere, Ephesians 5, uh, love and respect and mm-hmm. sanctification. And um, when it came down to me wrestling with leaving or staying, like words like sanctification, to be honest with you, are so good and so important. But I, I just said to myself, I was like, I can get sanctified somewhere else. Hmm. Like, and, and I even knew Preston, like you knew me then, like when I was wrestling is I knew the arguments against same sex marriage, but I was like, this isn't worth staying in this marriage. Hmm. So I think if, um, for me, understanding the metaphor of male and females on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. The difference between men and women is not a cosmic joke. Like I hear so many times on marriage podcasts and people are well-meaning, but if I can just do a little shout out, can you guys please, not you Preston, but (laughs) please married people who are working in marriage work, please stop with all the gender joking Mm -hmm. of like, oh, the old ball and chain and oh, the old woman, she's just so controlling and men are all idiots because if there's people listening to you who are wrestling with stain and perhaps they're attracted to the same sex, when you're rolling your eyes at how stupid the opposite sex is, or just saying, yeah, why are you even married? You seem to hate each other. Hmm. Wow. But for me to understand that male-female difference is not a cosmic joke mm-hmm. where hormones trick you into marriage and the rings make your lust Christian legal and then you just have to like make it work for the kids and haha Christians don't get a divorce. But it's to show a picture of Christ. If male and female are so different, how different is God from humanity? Yeah. Yeah. Ontologically he is far above every ruler and power and authority. He's great. Like, and yet he wants to marry us. So this, they are our, our current and future reality. And so every time, even when I'm like, why is Matt so different? And then I see our kids looking at us, working through something. I'm like, they are getting a picture of our seeking oneness, of how God works to be one with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is not just a, we're not just working to bid for sex. We're working to show our kids and our neighbors and people at the grocery store in our church how God wants to marry us. Yeah. So maybe it's just me that doesn't get that. <laughs> but I hope if people read it, they'll walk away with a greater understanding of the marriage metaphor. Well, it's a picture, too, of just various themes of reconciliation, unity between differences, whether it's ethnic differences or I mean, political differences yeah. or racial differences. Yep. I mean, all throughout Scripture, you see that beautiful theme of God doing the impossible, whether it's bringing together male, female, yes. or also bringing together different kinds of people. Even the 12 apostles, you know, you got... Simon the Zealot, you know, suicide bomber. And then you have Matthew, the tax collector, who's working for the government that Simon is trying to overthrow through violence, you know, and God brings them together. I'm sorry, we're going to come together. (laughs) And, you know, this is like, you know, I I think I've used this metaphor before, but like, you know, Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and, you know, on the same team somehow without doing, you know, losing their differences. I yeah, even that's like that would never happen, but God can do that sort of thing. And I think marriage is a picture, at least it participates in that kind of recon- reconciling power of God, whereby he wants to bring all things, he wants to reconcile all things to himself. Um, but these yeah. are, you know, these are deeper theological 
creational themes that so few people, uh, you know, we both grew, grew up in the church, and I rarely hear marriage talked about on that kind of level. It's almost like the church has adopted a very much a secular view of marriage. It's all about mm. compatibility, romance, yada, yada, yada. We might throw yeah, in something that. about sacrifice, and our one big footnote is don't have sex till you get married. You know, that that's our great contribution right. you know but really but the, but the whole form the flavor the tone the purpose all these things are very much it looks very similar to the world you know you fall in love you fall out of love and um i don't know i just think it's time for the church to really do a deep dive not just study but truly understand you know the deep roots of marriage but well which is why i love people in your situation you know you've had to do that you can't rely on <laughs> the old tired view of marriage to get you through. You have to dig you, ha- right? I mean, you had to dig deeper. Otherwise it may not have worked out. <laughs> oh no, I don't see how it would have because it just, it, it felt too thin and it was too thin. If it's only a horizontal, not that the other things are unimportant, like trying to figure out the horizontal relation always, but without the vertical, I don't understand how people stay married. I don't, and, and, and I don't think maybe our, the gospel pictures that God has planted all over the place with those he's called to marriage, mm-hmm. I don't think we're very effective. Yeah. You, you mentioned kind of passing, and we've talked about this a lot, but I mean, you, you swim in kind of a broad range of circles from conservative to moderate to progressive. Um, yeah. Have you felt your relationship, especially when it is successful, for lack of better terms, have you sensed that that has become like a threat to other people? And I'm, I'm saying more on the progressive side of things that this kind of your marriage should not work because you're not attracted mm-hmm. to guys. Yeah. Do you ever feel like that or. I, I, I mean, do I feel the hatred? Oh yeah. It's unreal. It's, hmm. I mean, being like when we, had worked through our stuff and we were not verbal yet about like our pain. And I was pregnant with our third kid. I felt like literally this basketball that I was carrying around was a, a symbol of like evil to people like that should not exist. Your marriage should not exist. Um, so yeah, I think, I think people, I think there's a lot of hate and I don't know Do people curse people. I don't know. Like I can just, you feel it and I see it and I hear it. Um, well, why would, why yeah, would that be? So I mean, this, ang- is, this is just your story. You've never once ever, ever hinted like, Hey, this is for everybody. You should try it out. But this is your story. Why is your individual story perceived as a threat? I mean, and maybe your answer is, I don't, I don't know why, but I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just, it kind of is bewildering to me that, um, in an age of, in a push for tolerance, people can be so intolerant towards somebody's individual narrative that they're not trying to push on other people. I've become sort of, I can become a sort of a strange idol for people who hate me. You know, Peter talks about you're a slave to whatever controls you. And it's mm-hmm. almost like I, like, I control them, pause, let me finish, in the sense that, you know, when affirming LGBT people and allies are like, what we need once we have same-sex marriage, then we'll be okay. Then it gets legalized. Well, once we have affirming churches, then we're okay. No, no, no. Now it's like once everyone who stands against me is agrees with me, I will not stop. Mm. 
But that start of their sentence, the once I have, at least I have, once I do, that's idle talk. That's, that's, those are signs of idols. And so it's like, I've become this like bizarro or not just me. I mean, I'm, I'm not whatever people in this world, in this field, um, who hold a historical biblical view, marriage and sexuality. They, it's like, we become this bizarre idol to them. Hmm. And if they were truly okay with, and really believing this is God's best, they wouldn't think about me. I, I just wonder, yeah. I just wonder, I don't know, something's going, something, there's sand in their soul, and I don't think it's me. I, I wonder if there's a prick of the Holy Spirit in there, but then, too, I just become, once Lori is silent, mm-hmm. at least silent. Sure, Carrie living on, but silent. Um, then I'll be okay. Is that so what it is? Is I that just, what it I is? Think, because once you become kind of a public figure like you are, and teaching yeah. others, and being more vocal, um, yeah. that, I guess that's when it becomes a, a threat. Um, even though yeah. you're not, again, even though you're not saying, hey, this kind of marriage can totally work. I've never heard you say th- this is for anybody or everybody or, uh, you know, at all. I, mean, I, I don't. I, in fact, I don't know Do a single it. person in a mixed orientation marriage that, that does that. They, they're all very eager to say this is our story. Don't look at this and say, therefore, you should go pursue a opposite sex partner, even though you're same sex attracted. Um, man, that's a. Uh, yeah. Um, do you feel like it's getting worse and more volatile? I mean, everything's getting more volatile, it seems like, these days. 100%. 100% more volatile. And I just keep meditating because I was like, I can walk into a room, Preston, and I can scan the room and go, okay, who hates me? Do they do they know do they follow me? Do they hate me? They, and it's, I mean, at this point, I can walk into a room and everyone has an opinion about my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, from either angle. And that was not a, a healthy place for me to live. That's not a healthy place for anyone to live. And so, but, it, but the answer is not also stoicism. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just don't even care what they think, whatever. Cause there's deep down, there's still something that still wants to be seen and known and loved. So I've just been meditating on love your enemies. Mm-hmm. And so whether they like me or not, it's my job to every day start with Jesus and say, Jesus, do you love me? Mm-hmm. And drink in his love. And then it's my job to go in every room, enemies and not. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to love the crap out of you mm-hmm. imperfectly. Mm-hmm. But that's honestly, that's like, as I think about this book coming out, it could throw a grenade in a fire, you know, <laughs> in a very hostile time of our country. Why would it do and, that? Because again, it is largely descriptive. Well, it's, it's also prescriptive. I mean, but it's not, it's not like it's a bold defense of the traditional view of marriage. Theologically. I don't, I mean, I, I didn't get that no. sense, but there's that element that does underlie a lot of what you guys do. I mean, well, what, what is it about the book that's going to make people so upset? You think just your very existence in your I'm marriage? Not- <laughs> Because I'm not affirming, because I'm a bizarro idol that's not, I'm not what they want. They want us, in my opinion, they want us to be silent. So it's until I'm silent, I don't, I don't, Hmm. they're just, they're just so angry. You look at, look at the comments. Maybe you don't read comments of other books in our field. Yeah. It doesn't matter even if what they're saying is true or not. The very fact that they said anything. Yeah makes people angry so that's why i'm like no matter what you guys say i'm just gonna love you 
Yeah. I'm just going to love you. And you, uh, yeah, you are in an environment where you, you actually are in physical proximity to people who can't stand you. Um, yeah. much of my, my local environment environment is really quiet. Like I, you know, most of my other stuff is out there. So for me, it is once I, once I discipline myself with social media, I, yeah, I don't read the, I haven't read an Amazon review of my book in years because anybody yeah. with an internet connection and a keyboard can write a review. And it's like, I don't need to pay right. attention to that. I, I, I definitely pay attention to thoughtful, um, humanizing, yes. uh, critiques. I, I love, yep. I thrive on that. But if they would, once yes. I see like a lazy, slogan you know homophobe or like i'm done i'm done that's just that's a lazy slogan or a slur like or some kind of ad hominem like who are you to once i see that it's that's it's deleted like i just don't pay attention it's not worth my time and energy but give me a thoughtful humanizing critique like prove to me you're not a russian bot (laughs) yes i I assume any comment online is a russian bot until they prove that they're a human through humanizing speech so that's kind of the the approach i've taken in the last few years so i just i've deleted tons of russian bots um you know or at least people that sound sound like that again lazy sloganeering slurs dehumanizing rhetorics assuming things about me or just making stuff up i mean just Preston says mm-hmm. two plus two equals five. You know, I've, I've had people say almost that, you know, I'm like, <laughs> why would I waste my time? Yeah. Like say, no, I believe it's four. you know? Um, right. So yeah. I, in that, no, the internet is easier to, to quiet. And I yeah. have gotten some very respectful, like very mm. well meaning people who have tried to rescue me from my marriage. It's very sweet. And a little strange, but like, and you're Christ- Christians. Sort of- these are Christians, right? I mean, these yeah. Are- yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I can't tell you confessing soul Christians, steps, yeah. but yes, totally. So those, I'm like, oh yes, I appreciate what you're saying. Here's my arguments. I'm not going to change, but I really appreciate what you're saying. So that's a totally different ball game. Yeah. And yeah, the the just like peppered bots. Those are are much easier to ignore. It's more the face to face. Yeah. challenges um yeah those ones like literally walk into a room not walk onto a social media platform like yeah, walk into right, a room right, right. that's where i'm working on on love that's tough i i that's gotta be that's gotta be wearing i mean is that i'm the stress and anxiety whether you whether it's on the surface or just kind of deep down i mean that, that that's got to be draining yeah it is draining and it's different, especially when you have kids, you know, it's not just draining. It can be like challenging and how, how are my tr- kids can be treated at school? And I don't want to dive too much into that, but I, this is why it's important to know your call, that you're called to marriage, that you're called to this conversation. Did you know I couldn't speak about this at all? I'd go catatonic until 2014. Did you know that? No. People would bring up the word homosexuality or anything in any circle from the years 2000, whatever, six until 2014. I couldn't talk about this in public at any level in any space at all. Why? And it was because it was so scary. I might have shared with like two small groups. I don't know. It was so close to my heart, Preston, and it was so personal and people talked about it so terribly. And then in 2014, I was asked to blog for lies young women believe or something. And they're like, we have an audience of like 30,000 readers a month. 
And I was like, well, I guess I'm coming out now. And so I finished like sharing with all my family. And I tell you what, Preston, the Holy Spirit like plugged me into a wall mm-hmm. and it was like all of a sudden brrr, mm-hmm. I could just talk about it. And I had to study. It's not like I just knew everything. I'm still learning. Um, but that's why, like, you have to be called to this. If you are, and then have your prayer team around you, have your support yeah. system. And, and not just for this conversation. I think that's the next layer of this intense Christian world that we're stepping into. And I'm not about to pull the martyr flag. I'm not. Yeah. I'm just saying, I don't think an Instagram Christianity, if that is our whole meal, that's not going to cut it in this next phase of whatever's coming. We have to, if you're called to speak up about anything that's really gritty, Christ, Christian, you know, yeah. Christ, like get rooted, get your people around you and could be awesome. Well, and just thinking out loud, I, I you know, okay. like everybody else who's following politics and news a lot closer the last oh, six yeah. months, I mean, I, you and I both know that one's approach to the LGBTQ conversation is intertwined with, uh, the race conversation. Oh, a hundred percent. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's woven together and there's different theories on this. Some might say, you know, the, uh, some LGBT people are kind of riding the coattails of race or I, I, I'm not going to quite, I don't know the, the motivation or even like turning one's sexual orientation into a kind of a fundamental ontological identity. So it's such a, such a fabric of who you are just as maybe your race or ethnicity is. Um, But I mean, what I'm seeing more and more, and I've, this has been true since I entered the conversation eight years ago, seven years ago. um, There are, there are people who would equate if you know somebody holding to a traditional view of marriage that marriage is one man one woman and that same sex relationships are therefore deemed not god's will um uh that that belief is equated with racism i mean with wearing a white hood and being a kkk member like there are people and it was a lot less seven eight years ago I just feel oh, it yeah. more and more. And now when I look at stuff happening in Seattle and Portland and the anger, the rage that people have toward what they perceive as racism, like what they're doing with every, you know, the police force. I mean, that's, that's, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people are in the police force, but if you're in some circles, if you're a white cop, you could be mother Teresa, like amazing morally. And that just doesn't, because you are a white cop, you participate in this, uniform identity of a KKK member. Like you are intrinsically immoral evil. So I'm going to throw explosives after you because I'm good. You're evil and evil needs to be taken out. Is it too much of a stretch to say that that mentality will very quickly, if it's not there already be turned to people mm-hmm. living in America oh, who hold to a traditional view of marriage? I was thinking that yesterday, listening to NPR and like all the changes, you know, what it is, somebody was saying, we will not stand with the racists. We are going to stand like it was a government thing. And I was like, okay, that's great. I totally, you shouldn't stand with the racists, like with the clashes that were happening in Seattle. The government was saying that and it was such a, like, you can feel the collective. Yes, of course not. You as the government need to share that. And I just thought, 
how soon is it we will not stand with the homophobic right. people who do not or do not hold to an affirming worldview? I'm sure it'll be different words yep. who are not affirming, completely affirming. I just had that like thought, I'm like I wonder how quickly it will be. Help me, like I've I've had people for just an Instagram post. They'll they'll say, you know, you're the same as telling black people to bleach their skin yeah. and straighten their hair, and you're and you're encouraging rape. And I was like. Okay, just for holding what I'm saying, I hear you, but no. Um, so yeah, I I agree with you, Preston. I think it will be probably very quick. And God help us really to love, love yeah. and be bold. But love is what conquers fear. That's good. Well, I kept you almost an hour here, Lori. Uh, again, the book is uh, an impossible, an impossible marriage. Like a and and yes, yeah, yeah. An impossible. And what's the subtitle? Uh, what our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love and the okay. gospel. Okay. I had to throw the gospel. Wherever books are sold, go check it out. Lori. Oh, tell us really, really briefly too, about your ministry and what you do, you and Matt. I mean, you guys do amazing yeah. work in this area. Yep. We kind of ambiguously referenced it, but yeah, for those who don't know. Yeah. We've done a, a transition as a ministry. We actually have a new name, uh, which is impossible ministries. Oh. Um, and our, our mission is to equip the church uh, to live out the impossible without Jesus metaphor of uh, Christ in yeah. the church, but single and married people. I don't have it exactly memorized. I'm almost there. We just launched it, but impossible <laughs> ministries. But if you go to uh, lauriecreek.com, uh, you can find out all about it. Lori, thanks so much for being on the show. Appreciate your friend and uh, many blessings on this book. Hope it does well. Hope it gets in the hands of many people. I think anybody who is in in a marriage or considering marriage absolutely needs to pick up this book. So thank you so much for the many years of hard work I know that you have put into this. Um, I mean, you've been, yeah, it's, it's been a long time. So congrats on the book. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, Preston. Take care.